The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, we continue our gavel-to-gavel coverage of the Harvey Weinstein trial with an extended interview with Lauren Savant one of the nearly 90 women who have publicly accused him of sexual misconduct. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Seema Iyer here with my buddy, Vinnie Politan. Great to be here. Um, Really, it's always great to be here because the podcast gives us an opportunity to really uh, take it into another level. You know what I mean? Another level of depth. because uh, Into your ears, into your commute, yeah, but, into your kitchens. But this is the stuff I love. This is what I, I, I live to do. I love it. It's my the work of my career. And uh, today I'm really excited about uh, what we're getting into. Well, I especially think that you are going to appreciate this interview that I did with one of the Harvey Weinstein accusers, Lauren Sivan, because she is... Somewhat like one of us. She's a journalist. Yeah. And and how she ended up there. I mean, to me, this whole scenario and story is is bizarre. And 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 I think it's so revealing, uh, these interviews yeah. and in, in, in how, you know, honest they are. Sure. And I All think these accusers yeah, you spoke to. Yeah, and she is really uh, a great interview because she's a journalist. And also, Vinny, it was she added some levity to this particular interaction that she had with Harvey Weinstein, which I can appreciate because it is very emotional for me to sit down with these accusers. It is just, you know, all the sympathy and all the empathy you have as a woman just comes out. But so what's in, her, what's her background? Where, so where did she, how'd she get into this? Really interesting. She always wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I think right out of college, she worked behind the scenes in Fox as a producer, but uh, hello, she realized, hey, I am so stunning. No, she didn't say that, but I say that. <laughs> she is so stunning that uh, the natural progression was to be in front of the camera, and she made that transition. She learned uh, the business, the production part, the reporting part, and her first real job in front of the camera was at uh, a New York station in Long Island. Strong Island, yeah. So um, you, you sat down with her, right? So you, you're sitting down, the, and how, how did you prepare for all of this, and, and what, what's your what's your attitude going into these uh, interviews? It depends on the accusation. All right, how about this one? So for this accusation, I really just try to watch as much on Lauren Sivan as I could. Under, I was prepared for what she was going to say, so I knew the story. And I really also just wanted her timeline about how young she was when it happened. Uh, this occurred back in 2007, and uh, I, I was able to almost relax a little before speaking to Lauren because I knew she was not going to describe a violent assault. So in this interview, we... Begin now for you listeners, uh, Lauren describing how she met Harvey Weinstein. At that time, I was working at News 12 Long Island. I had a serious boyfriend who I lived with in Manhattan. Um, and I would, you know, commute out to work every day and come back to the city at night. Well, around that time is when you met Harvey yeah. Weinstein. And do you know like, approximately when you met him? 
So it was about, um, it was 2007, either the, the fall or the winter of 2007. I had just finished my shift on Long Island and I was driving back to Manhattan and I got a phone call from a girlfriend. It was like a, a Friday night, I think. And she said, um, we're all down at Cipriani's. You should come. It's a fun group. You should come. And, you know, I just got off work. It was Friday. So it was later already. It was about probably 11 o'clock by the time I got back into town. And I went and met her. And she was there with um, Giuseppe Cipriani and a bunch of people. And I just took the empty seat at the table. I sat down with them. And two minutes later, Harvey Weinstein comes up next to me and says, I think you're sitting in my seat. And I knew who he was, obviously, he was recognizable. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he goes, no, 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 you sit. And he pulled up a chair next to me. And we just started chatting. And he was asking me what I did. He was really um, charming, you know, in retrospect. He was asking me what I did. He was asking me a million questions about my job. He was so impressed that I work in news. Um, he was telling me about all these, you know, news documentaries he's trying to produce. And we had this really great chat where I really felt wow, I'm holding my own with Harvey Weinstein. I was only about like 26, 27 at the time. And what was your overall impression of him, his demeanor? How did he come across? Like you said charming. He came across as really interested in, in what I was doing, but not in a creepy way. I mean, he was asking legitimate questions about news, about where I came from. We were talking about presidential history, you know, and which one, which president biographies we had read and things like that. And there was no red flags. There was none. I mean, he was nothing but really warm and sincere, and he was telling me about his children. And that's why, because there was no red flags, that's why when he asked me if I wanted a tour of the place we were in later that evening, um, I said yes, because I didn't what, think he was dangerous. What was his connection to Cipriani? Like, why would he give they you a pals. tour? They were pals. Oh, they were pals. They okay. were definitely pals. Um, they they were together quite a bit, as far as I know, just by reading page six in, in New York. I mean, Cipriani and him would go on yachts together, or he would use Cipriani's yacht, he would use Cipriani's hotels. So they were pals. How many people were at this table? Were there a lot of people there for this dinner? No, that it was like maximum 10 of us at this dinner. But afterward, because I had gotten there so late, they said, we're all going to go to this club, Socialista. So we all piled into Harvey Weinstein's car that was waiting outside with a driver. It was like a huge SUV. And we all went to Socialista. And when we got there, we, we continued talking. It was all in the up and up um, until he said, hey, I wanna, I'm a, one of the investors here. I want to give you a tour. And my initial reaction was great because there was no reason to be alarmed at that point. Um, but I got up from the table and I told my girlfriend who I'd come to meet, oh, I'm just going to go check out the restaurant with Harvey. And she looked at me and she said, if you're not back in 10 minutes, I'm gonna come get you. And I was like, okay. At that time, when she said that, was there anybody else in that group that looked at you uh, in, in some way? Not that I remember. Anybody say anything to you in some way? No, I mean, you know, it was a nightclub. It was like loud. People were just like talking in corners and it was dark and it was just a girlfriend looking after her friend. You know, she just said, hey, if you're not back in 10 minutes, I'm coming to look for you. Um, was it a bit tongue-in-cheek the way she said it? I don't think so. I think she knew more than I did at that point because she had known Giuseppe for a while and she had heard some things Giuseppe had told her about Harvey. Um, not that would rise to the level of do not go anywhere with him, but just I'm going to keep an eye on you. So then what happened? 
So he took me downstairs, and um, as soon as we got downstairs, I realized this was a bad idea because the kitchen was empty. There was just one guy sweeping up. It was dark. And I said to him, as soon as we got down there, okay, I've seen it, I'm good, I'm gonna head back upstairs. He goes, no, 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 you haven't seen it all, you haven't seen it all. And you know, in, in restaurant kitchens in New York City, they're really narrow, they're usually underground. So he's walking me behind me through this hallway. And when we get to the end of the hallway, it's just like an, a dead end, it's like a vestibule. Um, and that's when he you know, cornered me and he leaned in and he kissed me. And I, I backed off and I said, I'm, I'm so sorry I gave, if I gave you the wrong impression. I, I had no idea that this was this is what it was about. I just thought we were having a nice chat. Before he kissed you, did he touch you at all? Like when you said he he Yeah, he may have touched my lower back or just to scoot me through the hallway maybe, but it was again, it was, you know, I, once we were down in a dark place, I knew this was a bad idea and I knew that I wanted to get out of there. Um, and when he kissed me, it was it was it was I would say my reaction was more angry at myself. Like I'm was so stupid to think that he was just happy having a chat with me or that he thought I was someone smart and intelligent for conversation. Like obviously it occurred to me at that moment that all led up to this. So I was annoyed <laughs> at that part point. Were you scared? Um, I don't remember being physically scared. He was, he's a big guy and he was blocking the exit. It was clear to me that he wasn't gonna let me just walk away. But I, I didn't fear violence for some reason. I think I felt like he was so, I think I felt like I'm small enough that I could like, you know, get out of there if I needed to. But part of me was angry, you know, that, that I got myself down here. And, and when he told me, after I pulled away from him, he said, well, can you just stand there and be quiet? That's when I was like, what? And I guess the reporter in me was like, what's he gonna do? Because that's never happened to me before. At that point, did you get scared? Uh, yeah, but then when I realized what he was about to do, which was you know, expose himself and masturbate in front of me, I just was like, this is disgusting. And I just wanna leave. I, I wasn't scared. For some reason, it seemed like whatever he was gonna do was not gonna have to involve me. I just had to stand there for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a horrifying sight to have to be a woman by yourself standing there watching this go down. And the whole time I just kept thinking, this is Harvey Weinstein. How many other women has he done this to? Like, I just met him an hour ago. So I knew right then and there, I was not the only one. You said you were about, what, 26, 27? Okay, even at that young and that moment, you thought to yourself, how many other women? Just because it seemed so orchestrated. Like, oh, I'm so stupid. He's chatting me up upstairs to get me downstairs to do whatever he wanted to do. He knew exactly how to get me down there quickly, how to warm me up. He, know, he knew the, the place, right? He knew the, where to go, where there would be a dark corner where no one would see him and no one would hear me. Um, so it just felt at that moment like, I bet you he does this all the time. Because he just, it was so nothing to him. And he didn't seem alarmed at all when I was alarmed, when I was like, whoa, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to be here. I didn't mean to give you the wrong impression. He was just like, oh, well, she's not gonna cooperate. This is happening. We're gonna take a break right now, but we'll be back with more of Lauren's story. 
For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. We're back for more of SEMA's interview with television journalist and Harvey Weinstein accuser Lauren Savan. Here's the rest of her story about her encounter with the movie mogul. A little warning, though. This does get graphic. Okay, so you said there was a moment where you knew what he was about to do. Yeah. Did he, I mean, could you just describe what he did and where he, he was looking and just what he was... Asked me to st- he asked me to stand there and be quiet, and I remember I was standing with my arms crossed because I was like, what... What's he gonna do? And then he pulled out his penis and started um, vigorously masturbating. Facing you? Looking directly at me. And so, where, where were you looking? I was not looking at him. Yeah, I was not looking at him. I think I was looking past him or down, but I remember thinking like, it's so gross, I didn't wanna watch. And I kept hoping that this would not take a long time. How far? was he from you when he was doing that? Oh, like like where we're sitting right now. So as close as we are? Yeah, two feet, three feet. And when he was masturbating in front of you, did he touch you at all? No. Did he say anything? I mean, he may have made some guttural noises when it was over to let me know that he was done um, because it was, it was obvious to me that he had finished and I said, can, we go, can I go now? How long did it take? I mean, I want to say less than two minutes. And were you in that narrow hallway that you described? Yeah. So were you up against a wall or? I know that there may have been a door in back of me, but I believe it was locked. Like, I remember thinking there's nothing else to see here. Like, why are we in this hallway? And And then there was a what I believe to be a potted plant. It was dark, but I think there was just like some table with some kind of pot on it, and I believe that's where he finished off. In that moment, did he turn away from you, or was he still looking at you when he finished off? I don't, I don't remember. I just remember knowing that he was definitely done. Any point during that, you described some of the feelings, but were there any other, any fear or anything else, or, or you said disgust, you said pathetic? Yeah. Um, I think also just shock. I mean, this was a guy who's this titan of Hollywood. Everybody knows who he is. It was, I was kind of shocked that he was this brazen. Um, you know, he, this, we were in a restaurant. I mean, his friends are sitting upstairs. It wasn't like he dragged me to a hotel or somewhere, you know, that he knew it was private. He knew that if he got me downstairs in this building that he would have a chance. And um, that's when I realized, like, this, this is not the first time he's done that. So you said, when he was finished, you said, can I go now? And he, he said, yes, let's both go. Let's go upstairs. Like, nothing had happened. And he walked me upstairs, and my girlfriend was coming down the stairs. Um, what I found out later was he had a guard at the door, either his driver or his security guard or whoever was with him, a guard at the door who told my girlfriend, you cannot go down there. And she said, my friend is down there alone with Harvey Weinstein, and you're telling me I can't go down there? Are you going to explain that to the police? 
and he let her down. So she was coming down just as we got up. And she said, are you okay? And I said, we're leaving. And I grabbed her arm and we ran out of there and I told her the whole story in the cab ride. Did you tell anybody else that night or later? I told everybody. I mean, this was not something I kept a secret. I was so shocked that Harvey Weinstein, this huge movie producer, is restaurants all over New York City and like pinning girls up against the wall. I mean, to me, as a reporter, like that was a huge story. Did you think of pursuing this in a journalistic way? No, for many, many reasons. Number one, um, what's the evidence? He never touched me, there's no nothing on me. I would go to the police and say someone in front of me, you know. Okay, I just wanna put this out there. You know, again, I'm former prosecutor, yeah, criminal defense yeah. attorney. As in, in that vein, I'm thinking, you had your friend trying to go down. Yeah. You yeah. had a guard blocking the door. The friend and the guard have a conversation. Finally, the guard lets her through. She comes down the stairs. You're like, we're getting out of here. Yeah. That is a statement that would come into evidence. It would All come into evidence, but keep in mind, this was 10 years ago. He was untouchable. I did not work for him. I did not have to see him again as far as I was concerned. Um, it was just one of those th crazy things that happened in New York City, you know? It was a story that I told everybody I knew about, but the idea of going to the police with it, I didn't see how that would benefit me at all. You see what I'm saying? Like, sure. the fact that he was this huge famous guy was the shocking part to me, um, but I never felt like I needed to, I never felt like I wanted some kind of justice out of this. I was just, stunned that, that it happened. Did, did you ever, actually no, did anyone ever recommend to you to go to the authorities or tell anybody? No one. Okay. No one, and keep in mind I work with all the people in news. No. So you told people Oh, in I the told news? everyone, yeah. I told everyone at my station. He called my station the next day. I was sitting in my office the next day. That was the weirdest part of all this. I was sitting in my office the next day because I had mentioned I'd worked for News 12 Long Island. And I pick up my phone, I have Harvey Weinstein on the line for you. He called our assignment desk and I was like, what? And I thought, oh, he's calling to apologize, obviously. And he gets on the phone, he said, I just wanted to call and tell you I had a wonderful evening. <laughs> what? And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, I would love to see you again. I said, I think I made it clear last night that I'm really not interested in any kind of relationship with you. I have a very serious boyfriend and you know, I think that's the last time we'll be seeing each other, something to that effect. I remember being like polite, but like, what the hell? And um, I, he said, I, well, I'm going away for a couple weeks. I have to go to Hong Kong and blah, 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 and blah, 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 but I'm gonna, I'll ring you when I get back and see if you've changed your mind. And then that was the last I heard of him, from him. So, okay, so you didn't hear from him after that? No. And uh, now after News 12, like, where did your career go from there? Uh, after News 12, I got hired back at Fox News Channel as a, the overnight anchor. I was reporting and for Shepard Smith's show, and I was covering breaking news on the overnights. And I stayed there uh, for about two and a half years until I yeah until I um, I moved out to LA because I got a morning show job in LA, um, and I'd been in LA for eight years. When I moved to LA, I would tell people this story. And the reaction was always the same. That's Harvey. That sounds like Harvey. Um, no one was ever shocked. No one was ever like, 
why didn't you go to the police or why didn't you, no one, that was never a reaction I got from anyone. So when I came out, that's why I was so shocked that everybody's like, you didn't, you know, you kept this quiet. I didn't keep it quiet. I told everybody. This wasn't some dark secret I had, you know, kept sunk down that was traumatizing me. I literally told everyone and anyone when his name came up. Did it traumatize you? I mean, the act itself was not fun to witness. No woman wants, wants to be in that position. But of course, I was young at the time, and it was a different time. And so I blamed myself for most of it. I kept thinking, like, what signs did I give him that I was interested? Knowing what you know now regarding the accusations yeah. against Harvey Weinstein, do you still blame yourself? No, no. All right, we got to take a break now, but up next, we'll have more of Lauren Savan's story. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Okay, folks, quick recap here. Lauren's encounter with Weinstein, it happened back in 2007. After that, she moved to L.A., established her life there, where her Weinstein story was something that she would basically tell anyone who would listen, especially when his name came up. But the reaction she got was always, well, that's just Harvey. But then, in 2017, everything changed. So, Lauren, I just want to go through the timeline. October 5th, 2017 was when the New York Times expose came out. And then I believe it was October 9th, just four days later, where you were the first accuser to go on camera. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't know I was the first accuser to go on camera. What precipitated um, that decision? So I saw the New York Times article, and I thought to myself, oh, finally, someone's speaking up about this guy. Like, I knew it. I knew it all along. When was, you know, when was someone going to pipe up about him? And I was so proud of those women that took a lot of risk to talk to the New York Times. And I was so proud that the New York Times published the story because for years you had been hearing about him covering up stories about himself and smearing women that dared accuse him of anything. And so this was like, hallelujah. Right. Um, shortly after that story came out, his apology came out. Mm -hmm. If you've read that apology, it's absolutely bonkers. I mean, it's so absurd. Well, how do you feel part of that apology, which stands true today, his statement has consistently been that uh, he denies all allegations of non-consensual sexual encounters. When you are Harvey Weinstein and you run Hollywood and you are inviting young actresses to come meet you, where they believe that this is the make or break moment of their career, I don't believe they are able to give consent in that, in that environment. There's just too big an abuse of power there. Um, I've always felt that way. And so uh, when he came out and not only didn't apologize, um, but said that these women were lying, that's when I really got angry. And like I said, I had told so many people this story through the years that I was getting phone calls that night saying, don't you have a Harvey Weinstein story? And one of those phone calls or, or messages came from a reporter named Yashar Ali who, who wanted to publish the story. And I said, 
I said, okay, but don't use my name. I'll, I'll do it anonymously. Um, so I told him the whole story, and he called me back two more times and said, I think that this story will be much more powerful if you use your name because you're not an actress. You never wanted anything from him. He can't use you know, that scapegoat that you were just trying to get into a movie. Um, as a journalist, I think it'll be more powerful if you use your name. And I spent that whole night contemplating and thinking about it. And um, I was really on the fence about it because I didn't want, I didn't want forever my name to be linked to this guy. But on the other hand, you are a journalist. You're a real journalist. You so I knew the value right. of, so an, of knew. an, I knew how much more powerful it could be if I lent my name to it. And so I, I said yes. And then the article came out on that Friday. And I thought, good, <laughs> it'll be buried <laughs> in the weekend and people will forget about it by Monday. And that just wasn't the case. I mean, when that article came out, I just got flooded with requests. And one of the people that reached out to me was Megyn Kelly. I knew her from Fox, I trusted her. Um, and so I, I agreed to do the Today Show and, and tell her my story. What was the aftermath for you after speaking on camera? Well, initially, um, all of these women came, came out of the woodwork to talk to me and say, same thing happened to me at work, the same thing happened to me when I was young. Or when, I mean, there were so many people with similar stories like this. And then I began to get to know all of these Weinstein victims that you'll remember started coming out of the woodwork in droves. I mean, you couldn't even keep up with all the names that, that came out with stories. Currently, my list is approximately 87 accusers. So can you tell me approximately how many accusers that you keep in touch with now? I think it's about, oh, well, all of us keep in touch. We are all on an email thread. Um, maybe there's 30 or 40 of us on that thread, give or take. Um, the crazy thing is, we, we range in age from someone in her late 60s, I think, 68, 69, and 22 years old. So this was a three-decade-long you know, predator. I mean, he was doing this forever. The reason that he continued to do it for so long was because he had all the power. He had all the cards. Women were terrified of him. And when they weren't terrified, when they were brave enough to come forward and try and do something about it, he shut them down. He called them crazy. He blacklisted them from Hollywood. He had you know, psyops out on them, hiring Israeli <laughs> intelligence forces. Um, he worked very, very hard to keep all of these secret. So what happened with you in your career? Like what was happening at that point when you were, uh, you were at Fox in LA? Yeah. And, and so in October 2017, you're the morning show anchor, Fox LA. I was a contributor on the morning show. Yeah. Um, I, I was Fox LA. When the New York Times story broke out, I remember I was in the newsroom and I jumped up and I said, oh my God, uh, this is crazy. They're finally going to get Harvey Weinstein. And everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got that in the show. We got that in the show. I go, no, no, no. I have my own Harvey Weinstein story. And literally they were not interested. They're like, no, we got Ed covering it. You're fine. Before the New York Times article, did you tell people at your station or wherever you're working at that time, had you told people? Oh, yeah. Okay, so had anyone, whether it's a news director or anyone seen I don't think I told you? my news director that much. I mean, okay. I told like you know, people that I worked with on it. It was like when his name came up, I'd be like, oh, I have a crazy Harvey Weinstein story. Okay, so now after the New York Times yeah. 
expose. Your station knows that you have a Harvey Weinstein story. I told my immediate producer for the 5 p.m. news that night I was working on the 5 p.m. news, and I told him, and he said, oh, yeah, that's okay. We have someone else on it. And I was like, really? What did you want to do? What well, did you think? I thought I should cover the story, at least, because I had my own story. I knew they were right. He's sent out that apology, which was crazy. Like, I wanted to cover the story. But I also was trying to tell them I have a little credibility to cover the story. Like, they, the, the impression when that story came out, though, I have to be honest, especially in my newsroom, I don't know if this was the case everywhere, was that it would be dead by the next week. By the next week, they just the didn't think it was a huge came out. story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the opposite. It was the opposite. Yeah. So what happened with you? So you are now, so everyone in your all newsroom of a sudden, knows. Right. They all, well, and you're going on NBC. Well, I called my news director that night. She wasn't in for some reason that day. And I remember calling her at night and emailing her and calling my agent. And he was like, you can do this interview, but just get, get in touch with Fox. Let them know. And I was trying all day. No one called me back. And I said, I don't know what to do. I would either have to get on a plane to go do this. I haven't heard back from Fox. Um, they haven't returned any of my emails. What should I do? And my agent told me, go do the interview. It's Fox's fault. Like, what, you know, what are you going to do? And so I did a bunch of interviews and, again, was calling my station the whole time, telling them, like, do you want me to save this for you? Do you want me to come back? Do you want me to do? No, we're good. We're good. They kept me off the air for about two weeks. Um, they told me because they wanted to wait for it to, to die down. Um, and then my agent called them and said, what are you doing with her? You have one of the, why aren't you putting her on the air? And they said, well, we didn't put any of O'Reilly's accusers on the air, so we don't want to seem biased if we put a Weinstein accuser on the air. I don't really think it's the same thing, but okay, fine. So after two weeks, they put me back on the schedule, but I was not doing any of the jobs I was doing before. I was only on weekend shifts or you know, undesirable shifts and covering the, uh, the D-block stories, as we like to call them, you know, um, like a dog bite out in Santa Ana or something. It wasn't, it wasn't the job that I had been doing for the last seven years. So you were covering less newsworthy stories, less uh, serious stories? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what um, happened? And then, you know, they, they just cut down my time, and I could tell that my news director was clearly angry with me. I tried to meet with her several times, but she, she didn't um, until I just wasn't on the schedule anymore. Uh, they never said I was fired. They never said, they just said, oh, we have enough freelancers. You know, we're full this week. We're full this week. So um, I tried, you know, to get a job somewhere else. I, my agent had me going on meetings and and it was tough because he would come back to me and say things like, well, you make people nervous. When they Google you and all they see is, you know, accuser of Weinstein, they think to themselves, lawsuit, or, you know, this is going to be someone I can't speak openly with. I mean, there's still a lot of men that run a lot of companies. That made me uh, sick. That I, I didn't think I did anything wrong. I've never gone to HR in my life, by the way. I mean, I, this wasn't a workplace scenario. It was just something that happened to me randomly. Did anyone at Fox ever admit that you were essentially taken off the schedule at some point because of your Weinstein connection? They didn't admit that. They had said that I, I pissed people off by talking to Megyn Kelly before my own station. But the truth was, 
I tried. Even the, the morning anchor, Steve Edwards at the time, he knew the story and he kept asking them, why aren't we having Lauren on? Why are we having all these people that we don't know we're interviewing? We have Lauren, she's right here. Why aren't we interviewing her? And he said he wasn't given an answer. Um, so I guess they didn't want to openly say that they were punishing me for it, but that's what it was. Um, but it wasn't just them because I tried to work other places and I would hear from people like, you know, have you Googled yourself? It's all about Harvey Weinstein. And I said, yeah, I know, unfortunately. Um, they're like, well, you know, people who, who uh, launch lawsuits and get money, it's just not a good time for us to be hiring people like that. And I would say I never was a part of any class action. I mean, I'm a journalist, so I made sure that I wasn't getting any money, wasn't part of any class action, wasn't looking for any money. I only wanted to just validate these other women's stories. I wasn't trying to gain off this at all. But because I'm, I guess, lumped together with, with everyone else, that's all they see or hear. What's been going on with your career since? Because that was, so you're saying 2017, the rest of 2017, yeah. 2018, this continued. I worked um, at a, I got hired at um, KBC Radio, and I did a talk show with Dr. Drew for about a year. Um, and I left that show, but it had nothing to do with, with Weinstein or anything like that. Um, and I've just been trying to piece together freelance work since then. And you know, I've gotten it, I've stayed on my feet, but it pains me to know that this will affect my employment opportunities because my name will forever be attached to this incident. Up next, the rest of my interview with Lauren Savant. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Today we've been listening to Seema's powerful interview with TV journalist and Weinstein accuser Lauren Savan. Here's the conclusion of their talk. Can you think of any way that that something can change that or you can change that? Like what has to happen for this to not affect your career going forward? The, the effect on my career is not my worst fear. It really isn't. I mean, I'm, I'll figure it out. You know, I'm, I'm doing it right now. It's a shame that it had to happen, but you know, when we see Harvey Weinstein dining out in New York City, um, places where he know he knows paparazzi will see him, when he's showing up at young actors' studios, the exact demographic he preyed upon, um, it's that brazen arrogance that really angers me. You know, I know you're innocent until proven guilty. I know that, but it just seems to be a bit much to be parading around town before his trial um, at the very same place where I was. <laughs> where I was you know, accosted at, at, at Socialista, which has reopened, um, I thought that was offensive. Do you regret going public? Uh, sometimes I do, yeah, I do. But because I've seen so many changes since then, I think that you know, the end was worth it. I, I, first of all, I met these wonderful women I mean, if nothing else, Harvey had great taste in women because they're all, you know, accomplished, really genuine and amazing human beings. Um, and we all help each other out. I mean, to, to be a part of that network of women is really a gift. 
Um, and I also love seeing changes. I mean, I, my boyfriend today is an actor and he works on sets all the time and now they have an intimacy coach come in whenever there's nudity in scenes. And I think, great, like if we could just make the place a little bit safer for women so that women don't have to feel terrified when they go to work, they don't have to feel terrified when you know they get a job or go to a job meeting that's gonna be in some dude's hotel room. Like, yeah, that's changing and that, that is a big, big bonus. The hotel room thing, that has changed. Are there any other changes besides, like you were saying about your boyfriend and the intimacy coach? Yeah, um, you know, well, it's the, it's the gray area that I think we're all still dealing with, right? I mean, I think everybody kind of agreed <laughs> in mass that you shouldn't be pulling your penis out during business meetings. <laughs> that was a no-no. Uh, no genitals should be out when you're meeting with prospective actresses. Um, don't, don't wear a bathrobe for the meeting. You know, like that kind of thing we all realized was wrong. But it's you know those gray areas where um, where women just kind of felt uncomfortable, couldn't say anything. You know you want the job, so you're you're alone in an office or you're alone in a hotel room, and you just feel unsafe. Um, I remember one executive said, "Yeah, now I have to meet everyone with the doors open in my in my office, thanks to you." And I said, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're making women feel safer when they meet with you. I mean the it's it's it's." It's kind of easy. Just don't treat women like you would any man hiring the job. Would you have a man come up to see you in your bathrobe? <laughs> I mean, it's so easy. The trial in New York scheduled for January. Are you expected to testify as a witness from what you know? Uh, from what I know, I'm not. Um, I did offer uh, to the NYPD. Um, I think because my story, uh, you know, it happened over 10 years ago. Um, but it's not going to be easy for anyone to watch this trial or to, we're not even going to be able to watch it, but to hear what's going on. Do you plan on attending? I mean, sitting in the audience, public forum. No, no, I don't. Um, if the trial doesn't go the way we all hope it will go, that's the most terrifying part to me. If he just gets away with it, um, because he'll go back to doing what he's done. He'll probably, you know, find money, start another production company. I mean, he already is, you know, wheeling and dealing still. Um, that's horrifying to me because that means there will be new victims for sure. If Harvey Weinstein was sitting opposite you today, what would you say to him? It's hard for me to even say what I would say to him. There's a lot of disgust and anger and, um, and just, I don't know, I just, um, I just, I hate to say this because, you know, obviously not everything rises to the level of Harvey Weinstein. And, and now when men are accused of things, people just want them to go away. They want them fired, they want them to disappear. And I think like there should be some road to redemption. There should be a way that you can come back if you've proven that you've taken steps to, you know, combat your predators predatory behavior, but with him, I do, I just want him to go away. I, I, the fact that he's out and about in New York acting like he's done nothing wrong and he'll be proven innocent is galling to many of us. Weinstein is facing life in prison. In your opinion, does he deserve life in prison? With 90 accusers, victims, yeah, yeah. He's ruined so many lives, ruined lives. 
think about you back in 2007 and the experience you went through. And like you said, you know, for you, it was disgusting. It was pathetic. You were annoyed at yourself, all of that. But now, knowing what you know now, knowing that you're on a group chat with 30 other accusers and you've been exposed to almost 85 other stories, 90 stories, has all of that made you angrier? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, like I said, what he did to me, I didn't feel traumatized by and I didn't, I didn't feel the need to go to the police or anything like that. When I heard the other stories, I realized what a real monster he was. Because look, I'm a, I was a local reporter. We met randomly one night. I never had to see him again. But if I felt that my entire career rested upon pleasing this man and, and having to do something that I absolutely would never do except for the fact that I thought that was my only option, um, just to imagine how that can destroy destroy a person. I mean, there were women that had really promising careers in the business that were completely shot down after this, either because they said no and they were blacklisted or because they, they said yes and they were forever traumatized and haunted by, by what happened to them. Of all the stories that you've heard and all the accusers that you've met, do you believe the accusations? 100%. 100%. I mean, there's not a single story that say, mm, that doesn't sound like him, or this doesn't sound like him. I mean, his grooming process was really the same for all of them. You know, you're so talented. I see so much promise in you. Would you come over and read scripts with me? I just want to see you here. I just want to see you there. I need to talk to you privately because I want to mentor you. I want to, I mean, this went on with, with all of the victims nearly. Um, and for me, you know, it was, a, it was a quickie. It was only like 15 minutes of grooming or maybe a half hour or so of chit-chat. Um, but, but yeah, he had a pattern and he knew exactly what to say to make a woman feel comfortable initially in order to get them alone. Unbelievable. I, you know, as I'm sitting here, um, seeing a great interview, by the way, and, and listening to, I, I still can't believe that someone would do these things. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand and it. I do want to say on behalf of all of us at Court TV, we're really grateful any time someone sits down with us and talks to us about very disturbing and uh, painful memories for and them. Ver and very personal. I mean, some, some yeah. people, it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to talk about this stuff, but... Uh, and we're uh, really grateful. Awesome. I mean, to me, this gives, I think, everyone who's been following the Harvey Weinstein case, some insight, you know, because we can't get the cameras and the microphones inside the courtroom, but we can speak to some of the people who are making these accusations. All right, folks, uh, for continuing uh, coverage of everything we do on Court TV, day in and day out, gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage of the biggest trials around the nation, including the Harvey Weinstein case, please rescan your antennas. Rescan, for heaven's sakes. It's time to rescan. Please, until everyone rescans, I will continue to remind you. So if everyone does it right now, I won't have to mention it again. And then he'll get some sleep at night because exactly. he stays up worrying about you rescanning people. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.